Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Welcome to episode 98 of Americans Watching the Footy. Um, well, good time of day is your catchphrase, but I guess I also said it. I'm Benjamin Castle here in South San Francisco, California, alongside my brother Ethan for the round 10 preview. We are starting the Sir Doug Nichols rounds this week. Not only that, I think this is just a really spicy round of games in general. Not just white people spicy. This is like... If you go to the Thai restaurant and ask them for their version of spicy, that's how spicy this round is. I must also say, I really appreciate how Australian sports go about acknowledging and celebrating indigenous heritage. It's so much more than we have for anything like it in the United States. And the fact that they have indigenous members and artists involved and that the players are sometimes involved in the jumper creation as well makes it all the more special and often personal. It is really neat. We also have three teams adopting indigenous names this year. Melbourne as Narm, that was the first last year. This year, we also have Frio as Walyala and Port Adelaide as Yardapulti. Incidentally, those are the two opponents of Narm in these next couple rounds. That might not be a coincidence. That's why I said incidentally and not coincidentally. Ah, okay. But, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, these are languages that have very, very few speakers. And I was thinking, like, is it important to keep these languages alive? And I'd say yes, because we can learn a lot from different language structures from an anthropological standpoint. And a lot of times languages have words to describe things that we don't. Just like we have words to describe things that they don't have. Like if you listen to Melbourne's translation of their club song, you know, it's Team of the Red Sand and the Blue Sky. You know, colors in the Arante language are just kind of named after things they see. Also, just the fact that they're part of the history of those indigenous peoples in the first place, which is, of course, not something to overlook and something that these next two weeks are all about in relation to their influence on the great game of footy. Some non-Sir Doug Nichols round news, just a couple scheduling and timing things, looking ahead all the way to grand final week. September 24th through 30th. The Brownlow Medal presentation will be back in its normal Monday night slot. Unless the King dies this time. I mean, that would be dramatic. It was moved last year because it was scheduled for the same day as the Queen's state funeral. And more importantly, the daytime grand final has been locked in and there is much rejoicing. And there was much rejoicing. I still selfishly don't love it because of it coinciding with high school football stuff, but I get it. The people have spoken. The people largely want that time slot. 
It also means that watch parties will be more feasible here in the United States because 2.30 p.m. Australian time is 12.30 a.m. Eastern, 9.30 p.m. Pacific. So hopefully I'll be at the Golden Gate Ruse Grand Final Watch Party again because that was a blast last year. Hopefully I'll have a similar night to the one I had last year as well, where you go to a high school football game and then come back here to watch the Cats. And yeah, just hang out with Brian Harambe, who is sleeping right next to me right now, and he's like really sleeping. Like he's twitching, he's, he's out. This is fun. He is in REM sleep, which I will hope to be not long after we finish recording this, but we got a long way to go. A lot to talk about with this round for so many reasons. And it begins at the Adelaide Oval with Yardapoti and Narm. Or as they're known more frequently, Port Adelaide and Melbourne. It's a 7.20 p.m. local bounce, which is the typical timing for Friday night. You just don't see a lot of those at the Adelaide Oval. So it's 7.50 p.m. in Victoria and the other eastern states of Australia. For American audiences, 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific on Friday on Fox Sports 2. We'll have five games on Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2 this round. Both these teams are 7-2, and two, coming off comfortable wins against two of the bottom three teams. Not the bottom team. Yes, but there are three teams that are clearly in a category below the rest. And one of the reasons this round is so spicy is because two of those three play each other. For the only time this year, for really only one or two games that you look at and not really be compelled by, because I think the crappy matchups are compelling, but Port beat North, Melbourne beat Hawthorne. These teams played twice last year. D's won both. Round four was kind of the peak of Port's awful start to the year, a goalless first half and a 33-point home loss to the D's that was also a round opener, I believe. Uh, yeah, it was a Thursday night round opener. I remember being really, really disappointed by this game in general. Port's goalless first half was their first in their AFL history, and I distinctly remember Zach Butters giving up a really careless free kick right before halftime that cost them a chance at that first goal. Also, that's the game where Scott Lysette dislocated his shoulder and ultimately didn't play again that season, and he's fallen out of favor this year as well. The round 18 meeting was a lot more fun, despite the host D's starting with a scoreless first quarter. It was also just more fun because it was at Traeger Park. Kazi Pickett kicked 6-1, had a couple of really exciting goals in that stretch. A game the D's ended up winning by 14. On the injury report for Port Adelaide, or Yardapulti, Charlie Dixon, I'd consider him questionable at this point. He didn't go to Tasmania after that quad injury. They, uh, they really didn't need him. This is Todd Marshall's second concussion of the year, so they're going to be extra cautious with him. Could be multiple weeks. On the better side of things, Orazio Fantasia is nearing his return. And if he returns for this week, you know, there is a possibility that BT is the one to say his name, and he loves saying that name. I mean, how will not love saying it? It's a great fucking name. Orazio Fantasia. I think my BT voice has gotten better, honestly. Darcy Byrne-Jones was laid out with an illness last week. He should be fine. And if you're looking down to the sand full of this doesn't seem like a game where you really want to rest, guys, Jace Burgoyne and Josh Sin could come in. I mean, you're looking at some sort of list issue with Marshall being out and maybe Dixon as well. Those two being out really solidifies Ollie Lord's place for this week, and he did play well against North. I mean, most of the team played well. 
Miles Bergman and Connor Rosie had their way throughout the middle of the ground for that entire contest. And Burn Jones has been one of my favorite players to really learn about this year because he's transitioned from being an All-Australian halfback to being this pressure half-forward who, as of late, has a knack for kicking multiple goals when he literally never did that before the positional move this year. We'll see at least two changes for Narm because Tom Sparrow was suspended again for a dangerous tackle of Will Day, who seems to find himself wrapped up in so many dangerous tackle controversies this year, whether he is the tackler or the tacklee. If that wasn't a word, now it is. Looking longer term, Harrison Petty is out four to six weeks after he sprained the ligament in his foot when he got stepped on in the second half. He started out the game well, kicking two goals, and he's been a swing man that's played in both 50s as of late, particularly played forward last week. So you could see Ben Brown or Tom McDonald coming in there. They've both had some injury issues to start the year, but Brown in particular has bounced back in the reserves. Christian Petraka is probable after twisting his ankle late in the game or having it twisted by James Sicily in a tackle. A lot of options among the smaller or mid-sized players for the Ds as well. Simon Goodwin said that he wouldn't have a problem selecting Jake Melksham or James Harms as well. And Christian Salem is also available to play at either top or reserve level this week after completing a month of training. Amazing how we've kind of forgotten about Salem in this stretch because their defense has held up in large part when they've needed to, but he was an important part of their friendship defensive crew. Where do you see this game? I think it would be really hard to not come away with this game very impressed with one of the two teams, unless it's just a really sloppy game both ways. Like Carlton versus the Bulldogs last week, that was sloppy. Well, it looks like there is a chance of showers for Friday night in Adelaide, so that could quite literally put a damper on things, but the battles around stoppages should be good on their own. Clayton Oliver and Zach Butters or Connor Rosie could match up really physically at those contests, and however the Power and Ds decide to make those matchups at stoppages and at center bounces are going to be really fun because obviously Norm in particular have flexed their muscles at center clearance for the past few years. If Dixon is out, definite advantage to Melbourne in that defensive 50 would definitely make Jake Lever and Stephen May's jobs easier, and you'd be able to put more attention on some of the maybe less experienced targets or smaller targets. Marshall being out already makes Ollie Lord a much more prominent figure there. Also put some more weight on the shoulders of Jeremy Finlayson, who's done a pretty good job with that. Even when he hasn't been the most accurate kick, he's found ways to impact the game week in and week out. And I think the way he's played through his games where he hasn't kicked so well should be a lesson to tall forwards. I can't see Finlayson getting much success if he does have those big ruck assignments again up against the Max Gone Brody Grundy duo. And Lysette played well in the Sandful last week. You combine that with Todd Goldstein completely outclassing Bryn Teakle out at Blunston Arena, really the one area of the game where North put up a good performance. And I think you really could see Lysette in for this one. D's favored by six and a half. I think I'm going to tip Port Adelaide. I went I went seven for nine on tips last week. Just wanted to share that. I was seven for nine last round as well, missing Richmond and Frio. And I was perfect round eight. I missed, well, I've been picking against Geelong every week since round four. And up until last week, it worked. 
So I got that one right. I missed on Sidney Frio and I missed on Blues Dog because I thought the desperation factor would have helped Carlton there. The one not-so-sexy matchup this week, North Melbourne hosting Sydney at Marvel Stadium to kick off Saturday's action. It's on Fox Soccer Plus. It'll be Friday night at 8.45 here, 11.45 p.m. on the East Coast of the United States, Saturday afternoon at 1.45 in Eastern Australia. I mean, yeah, it's not a sexy matchup by any means, but with Sydney's slip in form and their injury struggles, I don't think you can completely look away from this one, even though North's injury list is even more tragic. I also remember the first meeting last year being a pretty compelling watch, despite Sydney coming through by 11 points at the end. Jack Zebel was thrown forward and kicked 5-1, but on Sydney's end, that was one of Justin McInerney's best games. I noted last week that he was one of the ones who kind of kept him in it for a while, and with how many guys they're missing right now, they're going to need guys to lift. They also won the rematch because these teams played twice. They played round 21 at Marvel. Swans won that one by 38, but it was not close. Nick Larkey kicked seven straight. Buddy kicked 4-3 with help from Jaden Stevenson on one of them. Yeah, Stevenson, I think, was taking a kick in and just kicked it to a space where only Buddy was going to mark it and then was so annoyed at himself by how he kicked it. Stevenson was that he didn't even pay attention as Bud ran pretty much straight up to him and kicked it. Yeah, that was also the day where a year late, North Stella rated the silver anniversary of their 1996 premiership. If nothing else, it was a good looking matchup because North and Sydney is a good jumper clash. And we'll have that again in this one. The Swans have won six meetings in a row and nine of the last 10, but, uh, only one win separates these two clubs right now, and only two places on the ladder. North 2-7, and seven, they're in 16th. Swans 3-6, and six, they're in 14th. It is worth mentioning, this. I don't think this game will look quite as good as it normally does. Yeah, the Swans are going to wear their Sir Doug Nichols round look, obviously, which would just be the same one they wore last year, one of our least favorites last year. Just the introduction of light blue to the Swans palette didn't make that a very desirable one. Also, it's such a downgrade from the Black Swan jumper. I was going to say, like, they do not need to overthink that. They can run out the Black Swan every time and it'll look awesome. Yes, we harped on some clubs for not changing their design, but the Black Swan never needed to be changed. And I don't think anyone would have complained had it not been changed. By the way, we will be ranking all 18 of them once again this year. We did so last year during one of the buys. I believe we're going to do it in round 13 because that's the round where there are only two buys. Yeah, and it, this is going to be purely aesthetic. I mean, it's the only way that we could fairly give an evaluation without having you know, a great Australian cultural background outside of what we know, what we read about these jumper designs. Preliminary thoughts, Hawthorne's fucks, so does the Eagles. We'll have more perspective once we see what they actually look like on the field. As for who's going to be wearing those this week, um, yeah, who the fuck's going to wear them for North? North do not have the most injured players, but they have 15 on their injury list. That list does not include Paul Curtis, who should be fine after corking his quad. It does include guys like Aiden Bonner. He's questionable. Darcy Tucker is doubtful with a hamstring injury, as is Cam Zerhar. I think it might have been a cheekbone injury for him. Just the way it's listed is simply face. Yeah, so I, I found that funny. Uh, Flynn Perez, 
and Lockie Young are both in concussion protocols. Aiden Core suspended for that really stupid punch on was on uh, Ollie Lord. Forgot that Aiden Core's another Irish player, by the way, from County Tyrone, just like Connor McKenna. The long-term injury news is not great either. Luke Davies Udiak is going to be out for about a month with a hamstring. Josh Goder's knee injury is going to keep him out for a similar time frame. And Jack Mahoney, or as some like to say, Monty. I think Monty is the standard pronunciation in Australia. They do weird things with A's and H's, I guess. Looking at the McGraw name as well. You got that one wrong, Australia. It's Mahoney. Also McGrath. It's like Mahoney and McGrath. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, he's he's done for the year with a shoulder injury. So does this mean it's time for George Wardlaw? I mean, it probably did regardless. I, I hope it is because I'd love to have some reason to tune into this game after the other one 25 minutes later starts. Also, they do have at least some good VFL performances they can rely on. It would be impossible not to include Callum Coleman-Jones after he kicked nine. He's also a second rock option because you got to give Todd Goldstein something. He was awesome last week, by the way, so that was really nice. Yeah, but it would be nice to give him a rest every now and then, especially because he'll be going up against a much more experienced ruck this week in Tom Hickey. Or could be Peter Lather was in theory. I mean, yes, but Hickey's probably in there regardless still. Other good VFL performers for North last week, Ben Cunnington, who I guess handled his demotion quite well, Aaron Hall, Daniel Howe, Charlie Lazaro, Will Phillips. Options are there after North's thorough beating of the Dolphins, Frankston, at Arden Street. Meanwhile, the Swans lost pretty handily to Williamstown in a home game in the reserves, but consider what they're playing with there. Yes, and still note the performance of Lewis Melkin, who's yet to play at AFL level this year, and I guess Sheldrick and Dylan Stevens were noteworthy as well. Sam Wicks also played in the VFL after going through some rehab for a shoulder injury, and he's just another forward option. And with Logan McDonald out eight weeks with an ankle injury, and Joe Lombardi still on the sidelines, you gotta look at him. Other injuries for the Swans, Callum Mills is out four to six weeks with a calf injury. That is a huge blow. I don't think his importance can be overstated. He suffered that injury very early last week, and it threw the rest of their defense for another loop that Nick Blakey had to draw an even tougher one-on-one assignment, and it's not what he's built for, and he really hasn't been built for much this season at all. Tom McCartan's going to miss another week after some delayed and prolonged concussion symptoms. I'm sadly wondering if this is hereditary at this point, because I'm just thinking of the similarities between him and his brother in that regard. But Pete Laddams is a potential return from an arm injury. He's listed as questionable. And despite all that, the Swans are favored by 38 and a half points because they're going up against North. I mean, that line does seem high. Maybe by a bit. I don't think it's like insanely high. I just, my biggest takeaway is, man, it sucks that you don't have Davies Uniac because... There's like a clear core of players that are at an advanced level for North beyond the rest of the guys. Him, Simpkin, maybe Zerhar and Zebel, maybe Sheasel. Davies, Uniac, and Simpkin also elevate each other when they play in the middle. And that's the biggest thing that's missing here. Missing either of them is huge, so it sucks. That's why this is probably not going to be a very good game. But what should be a great game is the one that starts 25 minutes after. This can be like... One of the best matchups that's ever been 
brought out to Ballarat? Yeah, out in the Central Highlands at Mars Stadium. Technically in Wenduri, I believe. You got the Dogs and the Crows playing out there for the second straight year because they played there in the Anzac round last year, round six. Both teams struggled with kicking into the wind in that game as the Crows kicked 8-15, but won by a single point, 63-62. And for a while, we thought that point was going to keep the Dogs out of finals. And it was until Carlton Carlton. That game last year, that was the largest crowd at Mars. The year before, they also played there, but it was an empty stadium. The Dogs did host the Lions there, which on paper is a hell of a matchup, back in round four of 2021. So they have not shied away from putting some really good matchups out there. Usually the alternate sites don't get such such sexy games, and that's... Well, then again... Did you think coming into this season that we would describe the Western Bulldogs at Adelaide as a sexy matchup? Not necessarily, although, thank you. Could see some intrigue. You know, Crohn were considered a team that could be a mover. Well, they also played there in 2019. Seems like the Crows and Lions and occasionally Suns and maybe Power are the teams that get sent out there the most, which makes sense. If you just look at which teams, you know, taking them out of Marvel would be like the least significant drop-off in attendance. I mean, in that case, you'd put the Giants out there. Oh, wait, they are out there later this year. That's pretty cool. But I I hope they get like the full 10,000 plus for this game because it is deserved. And because this game is early enough and is on Fox Sports 2, hopefully can direct some American audiences to not just footy, but good footy. Yeah, this will be on FS2. At 9, 10 p.m. Pacific, Friday night, 12, 10 a.m. Eastern, early Saturday morning, stateside. It'll be a 1.40 p.m. start for viewers in South Australia. And if you're at Mars Stadium or elsewhere on the Pacific seaboard in Australia, it'll be a 2.10 p.m. bounce. The Bulldogs enter in 6th at 6-3 and three after beating Carlton. Adelaide are in 8th for the moment after defeating the Saints pretty thoroughly. It was the first time St. Kilda had really been outclassed this year. I think this is another game that we're going to learn a lot. We're going to learn what the Crows can do against a really solid defensive unit. We're going to learn what they can do out of state. So far this year, they had that loss at GWS. It almost seems like a different team there between round one and now, just with what they've founded themselves since. They haven't had a good out-of-state performance at all, really. They barely beat Hawthorne down in Tasmania. They were not awful at Geelong, but they were clearly the team that deserved to lose that game. So this is a chance for a big statement for them and for the Dogs, who've won six of seven since that 0-2 start when we were both more concerned about them than just about any other 0-2 team. Could be a chance to show that this could actually be a top-four team, which I still doubt. I still doubt their ability to make in-game adjustments and put themselves in that position, but if you can win a game like this and get up to 7-3, and three, look, it's got to be contemplated. Yes, but that's not the Luke Beveridge way. He has never finished in the top four, which is kind of hard to believe. By the way, this is a great stretch of schedule for the Dogs. They go up to Darwin to face the Suns, then they host the Cats in power, and then get Kind of back-to-back buys with North and the actual buy. Oh, and how in the buy? Frio, Collingwood, at Sydney, Essendon. We're going to be talking a lot of Bulldogs in these coming weeks. 
And looking at the dogs' injury list, Josh Bruce could go play in the VFL, but could just as easily be sent back in to play against some talented Crows forwards coming back from that rib injury he suffered in the... Adam Trelor's a week or two away from returning from his hamstring injury, and the VFL side lost, but there were a lot of good individual performers. Luke Cleary is a defensive option. He played his first four games at AFL level last year. Mitch Hannon has played in multiple spots, and if you're looking at some taller options, friend of a friend of the show, Buku Kamas, Tim O'Brien, and Jordan Sweet, who had 53 hitouts last week, were all noteworthy performers. I guess Werribee just didn't have a great ruck option. Normally, I would not look at this as a game to rest somebody, but you could totally manage one of your veterans considering the number of good VFL options and just what your schedule is like these next few weeks. I wouldn't look to do that just because I think this is a really a good game to judge competition that appears to be on a similar level. But I get that. It's just there aren't too many other opportunities to do it anytime soon, I think. I mean, managing older players isn't something that has really been relevant for the dogs the past couple of years. I mean, Liam Jones is on the older side of defense, but he's been such a good presence back there that I wouldn't think about doing that. I had no idea he was part indigenous, by the way. I did not either. It was mentioned in response to the whole thing with Buddy being booed and treatment of indigenous players and him being booed. And that's what brought it to my attention. It was just like, oh, never do. On the Crows side, Tom Duday developed concussion symptoms after the game against the Saints. So that's probably who spot Nick Murray takes. I could keep Patrick Parnell in. Please keep him in, not just for the hire he took. Taylor Walker was managed from training this week, but should be good to go. They're probably going to play safe with Riley Philthorpe's knee, which I totally get. He doesn't have any damage, but they're likely to hold him out this week. He's had enough injuries, and he wasn't great last week, so why ask him to play through it? Also, just Ruckman and knees in general, just play that safe, please. Shane McAdam is still a couple weeks away from being back from his quad injury and being confused with Ned McHenry. I can't even believe that we've forgotten this much about McAdam this year. That shows you the kind of depth that the Crows have had in the forward six. Isaac Reichen has been the biggest reason why, if you're looking at kind of the smaller options, but it's been far more than him. They found goal scoring throughout the list. There will once again be minimal ruck support for Riley O'Brien. Not that he usually needs much, but Kieran Strong was concussed down in the sandfold. The same group of Braden Cook, Matt Crouch, and Jackson Haitley continue to play well there, but one of those ain't broke, don't fix it things. The only other change that would make sense besides filling in for Phil Thorpe and bringing Murray in for Duday would be Josh Worrell if you need to go taller defensively, which this matchup could command. And I liked so much of what Worrell had at the end of last year defensively and think that really he, along with Michael Lanny, could be focal pieces in the future of the Crows' defense would be a great prove-it game for him if he is recalled for his first AFL action of the year. I'm all for it. I don't think the Dogs are going to make many changes, if any, but I would consider bringing in Jordan Sweet so you could allow English a chance to play out of the center circle more. I, I think this would be the week to do it. Then you'd have the two guys to go up against O'Brien, and you can really just overwhelm the Crows with your size overall if you 
let English play elsewhere on the ground. Yeah, they, they're going to need to keep those talls spread out because we've seen what it's been like for not just the dogs, but a couple other teams as well in the past couple of years. I'm thinking of Collingwood when they had that Holy Thursday game against Brisbane last year. Just you can't solely use your talls in the forward 50. You've got to be smart about where to deploy them. And the dogs have been better about that as of late. I'm thinking about how Rory Lobb has been used in the defensive 50 as well. I would consider if you go with the taller lineup overall, just have him play back and match up with Taylor Walker as much as possible. Not sure if he's the type of player who's ready for that big of a defensive assignment, both literally and figuratively, but maybe if one of the other defenders needs a spell, that could be something considered. I would expect that Liam Jones gets the main assignment, whether it's Tex or Darcy Fogarty, but having Log for support there would probably help. Oh, certainly. I mean, heck, English could do that as well. English is... Just such a versatile player overall. He's going to need to have better hands than last week, though. I I expect him to. Dogs favored by six and a half in their second home. I, I guess that's appropriate. I maybe bump this up a couple more points at most. This is probably my favorite non-rivalry game of the round. Because you're scared about what the Dockers could do playing against Geelong? No, it just... We have seen at times where both of those teams have looked kind of shitty. More recently, Frio, but but both. I just think in terms of most exciting football, I think this could be your winner of the non-rivalry games. Obviously, Port Adelaide Melbourne is way up there, too. This is such a good round overall. Let's talk about Frio and Geelong, yeah? Yeah, that's why I was trying to lead us to that. It's a 2.35 p.m. start out at Optus Stadium. So 4.35 p.m. for Eastern Australian States. For American viewers, 2.35 a.m. Eastern on Saturday morning, 11.35 p.m. Pacific Friday night on Fox Sports 1. Let's fucking go. The Cats have two Sir Doug Nichols round jumpers this year, and they will be wearing the white one this week. They'll be wearing the blue one against GWS. I love that more clubs are designing Sir Doug Nichols round clash jumpers. Theirs looks really sharp. The Lions ones look excellent. Forgot to mention those earlier. It kind of reminds me of like some of the batik designs you see from Indonesia. Ooh, yeah, on the Jolong one this year. We both did that in our fifth grade classes, I believe. I think so. I think Frio's, you can get a little of that vibe as well. Either way, this is going to be a good-looking game. Dockers are 4-5 and coming off their win over the Swans. They have now won consecutive games for the first time this year. Jolong, hopefully this will be their first one-loss-in-a-row situation coming off the injury-induced loss to the Tigers. These teams played round seven last year at Geelong. It was the Cats' only home loss of the year. Game they lost by three, but they were playing from behind for a while. Frio's defense really signed them, and Lloyd Meek played in Sean Darcy's place and absolutely kicked ass. This was the game where it really sank in for you that Frio had that sort of full-court press thing going, where they stifled a whole lot of movement options for Geelong out of defensive 50. There was probably about a 30-40 to second sequence that really encapsulated that, and it ultimately led to a Fremantle intercepted goal. Michael Frederick was, of course, heavily involved in that. And the Cats have won the last two meetings out West, and both of them pretty ugly. 2021, a 69-point win, 100-31. It was a Thursday night game, and it was like, 
what the fuck did we just watch? Oh, that margin, uh, nice. Also, Frio scored 69 in the win last year, so double nice. The 2020 meeting was, of all the 2020 games, one of the absolute worst. This was back in round eight. Um, 48 to 16, the Cats won that one. I did not remember that game in the slightest. Well, I'm probably better off for it. I feel sorry for the 20,000 plus that were there. That 2021 meeting, by the way, Frio kicked 313. Ugh. And yet nobody kicked multiple behinds for them, which is kind of hard to believe. But they're rounding into form. I really hope they hit a bump of the road this week and then return to said form. But I, I expect whoever's going to win this game is going to have to earn it. And for Wallyallop, because that's what Fremantle are renaming themselves for these couple rounds, you're likely to see former captain Nat Fife return to their full 22, because he's healthy enough at this point. Could push Neil Erasmus to the sub role, because Erasmus just seems like that next man down in this case. Matty Johnson is back from his two-game suspension, just a case of a dumb tackle. In terms of other forward options, Josh Corbett will exit concussion protocols, but he's pretty firmly behind another Josh at this point in Tracy. Fremantle have really found their forward structure over these past couple weeks, and Luke Jackson and Josh Tracy are the biggest reasons why on the tall end. In the waffle for Peel Thunder, shocker, Will Brody played well. It's hard to believe that he's someone who's outside their main selection pool at this point, and that he's probably just going to be an emergency again. Better games as well from Liam Henry, Sam Sturt, and Carl Warner, a rookie who... Actually, is he still a rookie? Let me check the lists. Yes. And Carl Warner, a rookie... He was the eighth pick from this past year's rookie draft, in fact, and his name is spelled W-O-R-N-E-R. On Geelong's side, I guess Sam McConing's not going to be... Ready yet? I, my assumption with these facial injuries is like you can pretty much do everything except contact things, even with a Rip Hamilton mask. Probably need to make sure like your bones all set and stuff. That's look in a sport that so that relies on much more difficult to play through things compared to the NBA. Well, really, it's a reliance on vertical contact in particular. I mean. There's a reason that Rip Hamilton and Jalen Brown and so many others can play with masks on at a top level in basketball, but you don't see it happening in footy. But, uh, I'm... Ollie Henry, please be okay. Ollie Henry ruptured a testicle late in the game last week. I don't know when it happened. It was some late front on contact, I believe. I'm not sure if it was called a free kick, but wow. I'm not sure if he finished the game on or once Adrian Beltre played a 15-inning baseball game with one and said it was the size of a grapefruit by the time the game was over. That's a visual. Just just wanted to share that. Adrian Beltre's fucking awesome, and if you don't know anything about baseball and want a player to enjoy, go back and watch all the stuff he did because he was so cool. But yeah, that's that's an injury that I would wish on a very, very, very small number of people and very few of those people are athletes that could ever have that happen to them. Hopefully, one of the people you want to wish it on is not in this room. No, I, I want you to have, like, minor inconveniences. Like, you know, your car door won't close or something. Reminds me of the whole uh, Mel Brooks thing about what tragedy and comedy are. Great, great reference. I, I might have mentioned that at, on a prior episode. I feel like I did. Tragedy is when I cut my finger, Mel Brooks said. 
Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. As for actual list-related stuff, Jack Henry and Tysa Stangle could both be back this week. Sounds like Henry might not need to go through VFL. He had that foot injury during preseason. Stangle suffered a broken wrist against the Eagles. So it could be Geelong now with, oh, still the same percent of Henry's. Yeah. You were what you have been so ready to make that announcement of 100% more Henry's, and uh, we'll have to wait on that, clearly. Brad Close is back from his dump tackle suspension. I'm thinking you need to make some changes off of last week. I don't think Brandon Parfit's going to be in there. You could see O'Sheen Mullen, James Willis make their debut. Cooper White has not been selected in the 22. He's only played at the sub. You could elevate Jai Clark. Now, if DeConing was healthy, I would say get John Segler out of there because he just doesn't have it. But with DeConing likely still out, you got to have someone to, against Darcy, you can't just go in there with Blitzobs. Although I would love to have Blitzobs covering Darcy on most of the ground because Darcy has shown his skill set outside of just hitouts. In terms of that actual ruck contest, though, it'll be Blitzobs and Segler against Darcy and Jackson. Probably mostly Segler because of Blitzov's versatility, because you've got to have someone in there again, because you got to have a little support in there at least. But but I expect Darcy to take maybe like 80% of those contests in the ruck, at least with what Jackson has been able to do at center half forward. Thoughts on Geelong being favored by nine and a half, despite the injuries they still have. I mean, this is a line that I could really see move a lot depending on what is Nick, depending on what the cat's name. I'd probably make this a little closer, but not that much closer. I th- I think it's probably correct, even though I'd rather probably have the, you know, I'd rather be underdogs. I don't think people should underestimate how much Frio seemed to have figured it out. But I, I'm not bothered by this line. I, I think it's going to be a close game one way or the other. I think the Dockers are more likely to win a less close game, though. But do you think they're also the more likely team to win a lower-scoring game? Because I did see Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins really getting to the defensive, the Frio defensive unit, the Docker defensive unit, which can certainly gobble up a lot of possessions, but may not be the best in the air. Yeah, let's also note how easy it was to attack them through the corridor last week, although not having Patrick Dangerfield definitely hurts that department, and Brandon Parvet has not been an adequate replacement. That's another reason why I think Clark being elevated into the 22 is something that should really be considered. I like the run that Clark had in the fourth quarter last week. He looked, you know, a little jittery, not quite in tune with everything, but he looked very much like he belongs in there, so I would be fully in favor of seeing more of him. It just also feels weird that that Frio are so exploitable going back the other way from the corridor when they're so strong offensively in that direction. It seems like a very logical next step for their midfield coaches to work on is how do you get back in defense like that? If they can shore that up, then I think they're going to be in a really good position going forward and going back, I guess, because expressions. Two other things, I feel pretty good about the idea of Jeremy Cameron having a bounce-back game this week. Oh yeah, and these teams play again round 20 at Geelong. Round 20 rematches are a theme for this round, huh? More on a couple of those once we come back. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter at Americans Footy, on YouTube at that same handle. Still not used to YouTube having handles. Brian Harambe is sleeping next to me. He's on Instagram at cat named Brian. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Please spell our last names correctly. They're even, we're even listed as the authors. It's not difficult. And yet so many people think our last name is spelled with a C. Let's see how many times this summer when I check into hotels and pick up rental cars and stuff. And I tell them Castle with the K and they still look under C. It'll happen. Or, or maybe they just spell it like K-A-S-T-L-E or something weird like that. It's like the whole thing where somebody said Steven with a P-H to a barista and it came out Fativen. Yeah, that was a that was a good one. All right, five more games this round, including three rivalries, two of which kind of stand above the other in terms of things like number of people that'll attend and history. But unfortunately, one of those conflicts with a rivalry that I hope to be up and coming because I mean it's got to be at some point. That being Q Clash, Q Clash is at the same time as Dream Time of the G. Why they have either of these games conflicting with others, I don't quite understand. I mean, I love the spectacle of Dreamtime being a full-on night contest. Last year, Dreamtime conflicted with the game between the Saints and Crows, and I think it was also the election. Yes, it was. I forgot about that. Yeah, last year, of course, there were two Q clashes. There are two again this year. This one's at the GABA. It is Q Clash 24. The Lions have won eight meetings in a row. They lead overall 16-7. The teams met in round six last year, where Zach Bailey kicked six to win the Marcus Ashcroft medal. The Lions won that game by 52. The second meeting they won by 17. It was far more compelling. They actually trailed at three-quarter time, but that game got overshadowed by a big performance by Jamara Hagen as the Dogs beat the Demons at Marvel, which was just doing these games a disservice by scheduling. Again, give all of the non-Victorian rivalries at least one Friday night a year. I think Showdown is the most likely to get that. Or, or fuck it, a, a Thursday maybe as well. Just Showdown, of course, Showdown hasn't been on a Fridays in recent years, but for some reason they've had it still overlap with weird doubleheaders, as was the case for 2022 round three. Just if you're looking to grow the game and the AFL's presence in these states, Give them the literal time of day that they deserve. It was on its own in round six last year for Q Clash 22, but that was because it was the Anzac round and everything was spread out enough then. See, I think about it and I get that you want to have the Victorian audience, but I think it's worthwhile. It's like, like I think of Canadian hockey broadcasts and they're willing to show, you know, Battle of Alberta, Edmonton versus Calgary, even though it doesn't involve a team from, say, Toronto or Montreal. So, it can work. I, I think you get people intrigued enough that this could be really fun. This game will be at 7.30 p.m. at the GABA on Saturday night. 
5.30 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, 2.30 a.m. on the West Coast, and it'll start at 3.15 p.m. in Kathmandu, Nepal. I knew you were going to do Nepal. It's such a weird time zone that it had to be mentioned at some point. Like, people give Nepal enough shit for their flag, which is awesome, and not enough shit for their time zone, which is, I don't know, less awesome because it's not something that's so visually appealing. Let's see, which other uh, funky time zones could I do at some point? I'm going to throw in others as the season goes on. Let me just look at a map real quick here. Well, I know India's offset by a half hour, so there's that. Yeah, uh, let's see. I, I can't think of any other, like, weird 15 off, though. But, uh, yeah, ooh, Myanmar's also a half hour off. Hey, Afghanistan and Iran are a half hour. Leave us guessing a little bit, okay? Throw those at some point. I think at one point Venezuela was off by a bit, too, but they seem to have dropped that, which is good. But let's just leave me and the viewers guessing. Let me just, let's just move on to the injury reports here a bit. So, uh... A lot of options in the reserves, and I'll just say that from the beginning here for both clubs because they both enter this round undefeated, and I am so disappointed that we don't have a BFL Q Clash curtain raiser. They aren't scheduled to play each other at all this round because you've got Gold Coast playing at Werribee on Saturday and the Lions hosting the Lions, that being Coburg, on Sunday. Coburg, winless, Dead last. That's the extent of your VFL update. They do play the round um, round 19 of VFL, which coincides with the second Q clash that's in round 20. Is that scheduled to be at Heritage Bank Stadium? The uh, location to be confirmed. I would hope that's the curtain raiser it deserves to be. But by the way, on the Lions website, they now have an indigenous name for Brisbane up as well. I don't think it's going to be the official team name, but it says, I believe it's Mianjin or Minjin. Yeah, I saw that as well. Wasn't sure what to think of it, but cool that they're also tapping into that. So in terms of reserves options for the Lions, crazy to think that Kalachi has yet to get a look at the AFL level this year, but that's how solid the Lions have been largely on the injury front in terms of skill in defense with Ryan Lesser being the one to come up these past couple weeks, and doing well, being a good kick from the back six, which led to some good moments, a few scores. Achi, former basketballer Tom Fullerton, Darcy Gardner, and Jared Lyons were all strong in the VFL. Just a really deep list, and it's a good problem to have that you're leaving so many of these players out. Former basketballer Tom Fullerton kicked six last week, so he has a very compelling case. It's like, this is another of those situations similar to the Dogs, you probably don't even normally want to rest people for this game, but the options behind them are so good that if you give an older guy like a Jack Gunston a week off, you're probably going to have more than enough suitable players available. I mean, Lincoln McCarthy's 29 and isn't been quiet as of late. Maybe you slide someone like Bailey a little further back, and that's where you could open up some space for Fullerton. On the Sun side... Ben Ainsworth and Nick Holman are both probable. Ainsworth had a cork thigh. Holman had a foot injury. I thought Levi Casvolt was out for personal reasons last week, but I guess he was just rested. Uh, yeah, it, it was listed as personal at first, so huh. glad that things are okay on a personal front for him and his family. But he could be back as well, and he could cause a lot of problems. Even if he doesn't do much scoring himself, he just 
use his size to kind of neutralize Jack Payne. Or Harris Andrews, perhaps, try to draw him off. Another main assignment like, well, the pretty obvious one, Ben King. Also, Sam Stupid Sexy Flanders was good in VFL. Lions favored by 25 and a half. I'd probably bring that down by a couple points, but considering the history of this game, it seems appropriate. I just want something that turns this into a real rivalry instead of just teams that play close to each other. I mean, the fact that last year's second contest was as close as it was and that the Suns even led late should help with that. But I mean, obviously, we need some physicality for that to happen. We need something that actually starts to cause a little hatred. We don't need something like when Andrew Gaff punched Andrew Brayshaw. It doesn't even have to be as physical as that. I was thinking of what happened over the weekend between the Philadelphia Phillies and Colorado Rockies, where Rockies pitcher started talking shit to the Phillies dugout. Bryce Harper got pissed. And in the middle of the whole scrum, he says to the Rockies, and this is a factual statement, by the way, you're a loser fucking organization. Every single one of you. Like, I just want, if the Lions are beating the Suns' asses again, which could totally happen, I want them to start talking shit, because that'll fuel something even if it's a blowout. Like, someone go out there and say some really out-of-pocket shit about how you're their dads, or... Look, the Suns are almost at the age for a bar mitzvah, and they've yet to make finals. You gotta do something to spice this up. Stir the pot. Stir the melting pot. Come on. Stir the pot. Stir the melting pot. As I mentioned a little bit ago, this is going to be a really good test for the Lions defensive depth with Andrews, Payne, etc. going up against Kane, Chol, maybe Casbolt, hopefully Casbolt, I'll say. And then looking at the other defensive 50, Charlie Ballard is going to have his toughest test this year after coming off, I would say, one of his easiest because Jack Darling, one, ate what he used to be and two, broke his arm. The more I think about it, though, the more I think there's an avenue for victory here for the Suns than there is for North. So I am switching my gauntlet pick over to the Swans for this week. I could see a game where, like, Matt Rowell just absolutely goes off, beats up not just Lockie Neal, but, like, Brisbane's entire midfield. That's the Suns' path to victory. It involves Matt Rowell doing insane things in their defense, holding their own against a really good forward line. I cannot see a version of this game that the Suns win where anyone other than Matt Rowell wins the Ashcroft medal. I could see a version where it's Ben King or Noah Anderson. I guess, I guess Anderson, but I don't know. I think Rowell's also just the guy who's like made for this. And that Q-Clash, which we're so excited about, Q-Clash 24 goes up against Dreamtime at the G, which is the best chance in a while for what was the longest active winning streak in the AFL entering this season to finally come to an end because, um, Hutto, how many consecutive meetings have Richmond won against Essendon? 13! 13! <laughs> Do you know the other matchup that currently is on a 13-game streak? Yeah, you mentioned this actually last episode. It's Port with the Suns, I think. Correct. But considering Richmond's injuries and that Tom Lynch isn't playing still and won't be for quite a while, you can see the Bombers having a shot here. This one gets underway 10 minutes after Q-Clash starts, so 2.40 a.m. for us here on the West Coast, 5.40 a.m. on the East Coast, 7.40 p.m. local time. This is going to be on Fox Sports 2, and I hope the coverage starts before 
2.30 a.m. our time because I want the Dreamtime pregame ceremony in all its glory to be there for Americans to see. And really, for those of them who are watching at that unusual hour, really appreciate how much goes into this game, the celebration of Indigenous identity in Australia. I'm thinking back to last year's pregame ceremony where all the Richard players got involved. They literally circled around their Indigenous players who then rose above them and took part in the performance themselves. It was so badass. It's funny because I thought the year before when they played it in Perth, there was more like in-game entertainment, like you had drummers and stuff after every goal, but the pregame scenes last year were unmatched. And then three years ago, you also had the really special dream time in Darwin. I want to see this matchup in Darwin again, and not just because of my longing for Irving Mosquito to emerge and be so awesome again. This is the only meeting this year, which is really weird. You think of this as a game that's like, they always play twice. Yeah, they played twice last year. Tigers obviously won both of them. They won the Dreamtime game in round 10 by 32. Dion Prestia won the Ayukin Award. And then in round 23, it was a 66-point Tigers win in Essendon's home game. Tom Lynch kicked 5-2. But the thing I remember most about this game is Michael Hurley for Essendon getting a goal in his return slash finale and the Richmond players getting around him for that as well. I also remember a lot of Richmond players consoling Ben Rutten after the game. And uh, remember, Truck is back at Richmond as a defensive coach there. So, ooh, subtext. Yes, plenty of subtext. I would love to see if Richmond end up doing some great defensive things later, just win a close one. Just I hope the Channel 7 cameras capture Truck's reactions. I was very upset at how Essendon were treating him last year. Like, so far, it looks like they're probably a bit better under Brad Scott. But more than anything, it's that they were openly courting a new coach while he was still there. If they had fired him and just gone about it normally, I would have said probably too soon, but okay. Yeah, definitely too soon. His first, yeah, definitely too soon. It was just his second year as the full-time head coach after the succession play with John Morsefold. They had made finals the year before. Yes, it was still too soon, but the fact that they went about it the way they did made me so infuriated with the entire club. I had a hot take at the time, and I'm going to bring it back up again. It's worse than any cheating scandal, because when you're cheating, you're just trying to win the wrong way. There's no excuse for fucking over your own people. Also, question looking back now, was it a worse situation with dealing with a head coach departure than what the Vancouver Canucks did with basically hiring Rick Tockett four weeks in advance. I think that was actually like more drawn out. I don't know, because in this case, Essendon didn't get their initial guy, really, which just makes it more humiliating for the club. I don't know. It's it's tough. Both these teams. Um, You mentioned that Michael Hurley goal. I was just thinking of other scenarios where you could have like players congratulating someone for scoring a goal against them. And my favorite possibility of it would be just Mason Cox celebrating any Kazi Pickett goal. I am so here for this. Please do this. I, I want to see it on the King's birthday. Like, pick him up from behind and parade him around the ground. I don't care if it's in the first quarter or fourth. Just like, give him a piggyback ride. We need to contact Mason about this. Yes. All right, as for who we're going to be seeing in this game, each team has 12 players on their injury report. Holy. 
again, not the most. Uh, on Essendon's side, Jordan Ridley could exit concussion protocols, but Jake Kelly's probably still out another week or two. Matt Guelph, he's a week away, and on a team whose small forwards have struggled, he would certainly be a welcome piece. Peter Wright could still miss another two months. Must have been one hell of a shoulder injury. Uh, players who struggled last week and could end up getting omitted. Nick Hind, Jai Menzi, not a great game for our favorite. Please do not drop him for the Sir Doug Nichols rounds. Not after he designed the jumper last year. Not just for everything Wallet is. You, you gotta have him play. Oh, by the way, the actual balls this year will have the Tiwi name for football on them. Instead of saying Sharon, they will say, hopefully I can pronounce this correctly, no guarantees, but I'm gonna try Yiloa. Aha, actually the Seven article has a pronunciation, so the G is silent. Yiloa, it's Tiwi for football. And the design was unveiled by Daniel Rioli and Sharon is selling them on their website and... Proceeds from sales are going to the Michael Long Foundation. Hopefully, I, I showed this to my dad earlier, and he actually said it would be cool if they just gave a bunch of them to indigenous communities, which hopefully they do, because that would be awesome. This game is just, like I said, a super fun occasion. Uh, other list things. Massimo D'Ambrosio got subbed out last week. He needs to be in because he's awesome. Uh, once again... Nick Bryan, Rhett Montgomery, and Will Snelling were good in VFL. I know you've been wondering why Snelling hasn't been in the best 22 or 23 this year. Yeah, because I've liked him when he's been in there. He hasn't really, from my perspective, and no, I haven't watched every Essendon game closely, but from my perspective, he looks like someone who should probably be in there pretty much every week. I think just there's a little bit of a depth issue there and maybe some consistency on his end looking at his previous years. So looking at Richmond's uh, dozen players on the list as well, we could see Toby Nankervis return from his ankle injury that's kept him out since round four. Nankervis and Samson Ryan could be the way to go long term. I feel bad for Yvonne Soldo, who's also been injured himself, and he's now out four to six weeks. So I uh, guess I got to look for a new second ruck option there in the fantasy. Good to note. Yeah, Soldo was originally supposed to return last week and then had plantar fasciitis issues, so that did not happen. Uh, Jacob Hopper, whose performance I had really liked, he's now out four to six weeks with a calf injury. So, one suggestion there, I believe it was from Sarah Black, she's usually the resident Richmond expert, was that you could move Jack Graham or Jack Ross to the midfield and let someone else play on the wing. This is where, just from a versatility standpoint, not having Gibkiss really sucks, but they still have enough mix-and-match pieces. Hugo Ralph-Smith is one of those, although if Tyler Young is good to go, that's probably who Spotty takes. And, I mean, Hugo was probably one of their weaker links last week. It wasn't bad, but if you, had, if you were deciding between putting one of those two in, I see why they'd go with Young. Tigers favored by 7.5. I'm tipping Richmond because my logic for... Pretty much any matchup where there's a long streak ongoing, gotta see it to believe it, unless one team is just, like, smashed by injuries. Like when the Eagles lost their streak to Frio a few years ago, you could see that one coming. This one, I gotta see it. I completely understand that. I just hope this is a really good game, because it's been a while since these two have played a really good game against each other. 
The 2020 game in Darwin was somewhat close. Uh, Essendon kicked 10-1 that day and lost by 12. That's 10-13, defeating 10-1. Uh, they had a 2018 game, their rematch, that was decided by only 8 points. So I believe that, that game looks like it wasn't super close at three-quarter time. Uh, 2017 Dreamtime was a 15-point game that stayed pretty close throughout. But yeah, I think we're due for, like, a real thriller here. Hopefully one of those games where, like, you get a huge roar at the final siren no matter who wins. I'd love to see Essendon win this just because, you know, it would mean a shit ton to their fans. And also with them currently sitting at 4-5 and five and in 10th after a loss to Brisbane where they really got overrun in the second half, particularly by one of their former players in Joe Danaher. It would be definitely, it would be more than a spirit lifter. Richmond, by the way, 3-5-1 and one off of back-to-back wins. We knew they were going to start playing well at some point. And last week, they weren't just playing a, an injured team. They looked pretty good. Hopefully, the end of this game goes a bit better than the end of the Dreamtime game last year, where someone attacked people with a didgeridoo outside the stadium, which is like the most stereotypical Australian sentence ever, because when... Americans think of Australia, they think of things that can kill you and didgeridoos. Here would be another really fun wrinkle to this game. You know how, like, some teams have versions of their club song in indigenous languages? Well, Essendon, instead of any sort of indigenous version, even though, like, a Tiwi version sung by would be awesome, I just want them to play the Ugandan version. They should do that everyone. They should play that at least, like, right after the main version. You know how pretty much every team just plays the song again two or three times? Will be a great way for Essendon to spice things up. Yeah, go like regular and then Uganda, then regular again. Oh, by the way, they're on a four-game losing streak since that really nice win over Melbourne, and they had the lead over Collingwood, and they it's it's been a little rough since then. Not that not that they need a reminder. Like even the game against Port, yeah, they lost by five, but Port kicked ten more scoring shots. Alright, one of the reasons I really like this round is because two of the bad teams are matched up against each other, and that's how we get our Sunday underway. Ladies and gentlemen, University of Tasmania Stadium in Launceston will play host to the Harley Reid Cup, Hawthorne versus West Coast. That's right, that's how we're getting Sunday afternoon footy started, with the help of a realistic fish head, I hope. 1.10pm local time, 11.10am if you're in Perth or Geraldton or somewhere else in the West, like Calgary. Now, normally I'd recommend Eagles fans, like, get really drunk Saturday night and sleep through this game, but it's one of your chances at a win. So, should probably still watch. And before we give the American Times, I just want to address the idea of tanking and stuff. Don't fucking do it. Don't tank this early, or, like, as a fan, the only times you should really, like, want your team to lose, or, like, at the end of the season when they're in position for something... When it's this early in the season, you know if there's time for things to shake out. And everything's fun, and singing your club song is fun, so... Even if it sucks like the Eagles' current form? Yeah. Look, also, Harley Reid is Victorian. You really expect that with the way the Eagles are right now, that after two years he'll think, yeah, I want to stay in this long term if things stay dispathetic, if Adam Simpson and Trevor Nisbet stay on board if the strength and conditioning team stays on board with what the soft tissue problems have been for so many Eagles players, I want the win. 
I want them to get revenge or the rematch against North. I want some reasons to be happy other than signs from individual players. I want the results, and I just want the Eagles to keep building their base of strong local talent. Yes, Harley Reid would be nice. Yes, Jai Coley is hopefully re-signing, but the Eagles not getting the spoon I don't think is the worst thing for the club. Oh, you could still walk the wooden spoon to the number one pick. You just want to win individual games while understanding what the overall result is probably going to be. Same goes for Hawthorne, who would have a better chance at retaining Reed long term. So this game will start for us at 8.10 p.m. Saturday. On the East Coast, that's 11.10. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game, as the Sunday opener usually is. These teams are 1-7. They have the bottom two spots on the ladder, and they are separated by half of 1%, basically about one goal's worth. Goal's worth. Didn't he play for uh, Glenn Orkey back in the day? Oh, I'm surprised you didn't like that. These teams played just once last year. Round 18 at the MCG, a game the Hawks won by 25, despite West Coast kicking 12-5. Luke Bruce, one of his best games of the year, he kicked 6-2. Yeah, the Eagles did this thing last year where they ended up kicking some really accurate set-shot games overall. Their first win was really defined by that against Collingwood at Marvel Stadium, a result that still surprises me to this day. I just don't really know what to think of it and how to comprehend it still. Maybe that game, like, galvanized Collingwood. All right, Hawthorne injuries. Unfortunately, Changquath Jath has a new injury. This one is his calf. Uh, Josh Ward is missing another week with a foot injury caused by bone overload. Is he just fucking too much and not telling us? Because, like, I, I looked up bone overload, and first off, that sounds like the name of a porno. Sounds like the name of a Lonely Island album to me. That would be a great name for an album. Let's see, there's stuff with implants in various parts of the body, multiple things for pelvic bone overload. I don't see... See? Pelvic bone? But I don't see much for anyone's foot. Let's see. Is uh, You could you'd have lateral column overload, where, like, bones cause too much pressure on one part of your foot. I don't know. It's just... It's... Oh really funny term and i am going to enjoy the term bone overload that should be like i'm just saying it's just like it's more like a it's it's more of sort of stress on an already injured part of the body or something that's recently been operated on i don't know but i love the term and i'm gonna just like that might have to be my trivia team name this week and nobody else will understand it well other than your teammates any footy watchers among your trivia team no i mean i've shown them Various clips and stuff. Trying to get people to watch that Crows and Dogs game. But yeah, I just sent them a very late night text. And hopefully they'll wake up to it in the morning and enjoy the term Bowen Overload. Because it's a great term. Other Hawthorne injury stuff. Uh, Ned Reeves was laid out last week with an ankle injury. Could have him back in. Could bring Tyler Brockman back from his suspension. Connor McDonald's healthy. Fergus Green did not have a chance to prove himself because Box Hill had a bye. Also, as Josh Gavilich will tell you, Cooper Stevens has been knocking on the door. I think he deserves a chance. I think he's a really solid player. I was disappointed that the Cats let him go. And I mean, I understood it and I still understand it. It's just like, he probably could have gotten a game or two right now with the injury situation. And it's crazy that Hawthorne haven't given him a game yet. Now, throughout this episode, we've talked about big injury lists, some 12s, a 15 in there. If you've been wondering who has 
the most players on the injury list, you shouldn't be wondering. It's the fucking Eagles. They have 16. Congratulations. You win probably another player on the injury list this week because that's how this sorted game works. Well, I will say that Jermaine Jones is probable after not suffering a facial fracture. He was subbed out last week, but I also did like that he was playing more forward when he made one of the more stable things that the Eagles have had, being that mover out of halfback, so hopefully he returns there. San Petreski Seton could miss three to four weeks with a quad injury, but it's not something that's requiring surgery, just needs rest, clearly. And Jack Darling is going to miss a month after a small fracture to his forearm through which he played in the fourth quarter for some reason. Finding out that small makes him slightly less of a mad lad. Still, though, playing through that, I mean, not as badass as playing through a ruptured testicle. Looking at other potential returnees alongside Jones probably being in, Rhett Bazo could be out of concussion protocol. I was hoping for him to get a full game in soon after working his way back from injury to start the year. Elijah Hewitt is questionable with an angle injury, but questionable is better than out. Also better than doubtful. Campbell Chesser played limited minutes in the waffle, and Zane True had a better full performance there. He's been in already this year. Luke Edwards was the sub last week and came in once Jones was taken out. He could be elevated this round, and that'll just lead to even more confusion for the commentators because Harry Edwards is also an eagle. And unlike the Daycost brothers, People probably don't realize that off the top of their heads and that there could be two players with the same surname on a list. People realize it with the Guthries, but that's also a team that's worth paying attention to. Oh, uh, you see some commentators just not caring still. I want to mention again from the joke I made after Geelong beat these teams back to back. Sometimes I get shitty bird teams confused with each other. Hopefully this doesn't provide much of an opportunity to confuse them this week one way or another. I just hope it's an entertaining game, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hawthorne run away with it. If Mitch Lewis kicks a bag, Hawks favored by 22 and a half. I am tipping Hawthorne. Yeah, I mean, against the spread, I don't know, but to win, yeah. To win is easy. Starting at 3.20 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, so 1.20 a.m. Eastern Sunday, 10.20 p.m. Pacific Saturday for American audiences on Fox Sports 2. We got Car Call, the first of the two meetings this year. For those of you that aren't familiar, the Brazilian soccer rivalry between Flamengo and Fluminense is called Fla-Flu, so I call this Car Call, or when Collingwood's the home team, Call Car. It's another local derby, so it's fitting, and I mean, it just sounds fun. Car Call, Call Car, Fla-Flu. Yeah, Fla-Flu takes the cake. Think of any other abbreviation things that could come even close, and I really can't think of any. They gotta start with the same letter as part of it, or just both sound really funny. Nothing else in footy comes close, that's for sure. And you sure about Stukwasi? Stukwaka? Uh, yeah. That sounds more like something you'd see on a roadside in British Columbia. Carlton Enter at 4 4 and 1. They're in ninth. They lost to the Bulldogs. They have now lost four of five with the one win coming against the Eagles. Oh, yeah, and everyone was so hyped up about what Carlton had done that game. Charlie Curnow kicked nine goals. They won by triple digits. It was against the Eagles, you fucking dipshits. Collingwood, meanwhile, have won five in a row. They comfortably dispatched GWS last week. Mason Cox played out of his mind, and it was 
awesome. I am so glad he is on American TV this week. Collingwood needs to be on American TV as much as possible, solely because of Mason. Entering last year, the all-time series between these two teams was tied. Collingwood now have a 130-128 lead with four draws. The first meeting last year, Collingwood held off a late Carlton charge thanks to some big plays by John Noble. They won that game by four. And then round 23, everyone knows how that went. Carlton kicked no goals and six behinds in the fourth quarter. Corey Durden had that really bad kick that got intercepted by Jeremy Howe. But before that, the Pies had kicked the five goals of the fourth quarter, with Jamie Elliott kicking two of them, including the game winner with just over 100 seconds left. That gave the Pies a top four spot and ended Carlton's season, and nobody celebrated more than the Western Bulldogs out in Launceston. Here's the crazy thing when you compare these teams. Collingwood are better defensively. They're definitely better coached. But I think you could really argue that on a pound-for-pound basis, Carlton has more talent. On paper, yes, if you're looking at how they work together, that's an entirely different story. But if you're, like, building a roster in AFL 23, whatever that fucking train wreck is, I can get it. Yeah, if you're just, like, giving each player a 1-100 to rating and then taking the average score of those ratings, I, I think there's a good chance that Carlton would be the, would end up with the higher number of the two. In the forward ranking, definitely, but Harry Mackay has not been himself this year. D6 shots this season, which is really hard to say, by the way. Pause and try saying it yourselves, like, three times. It's, it's really hard. I'm not even going to try. But he's kicked 21-22, and that's that's bad. No matter if you look at the percentage of those turned into goals, the percentage of those turned into scores at all. And this is a dude with range. It's not like he's taking shots out of his range. He's just missing and hitting the wrong side of the boot. And it's just, it's been ugly. I remember how Matthew Lloyd was offering to help out Max King last year. I think Harry Mackay might be a more pressing prospect if he's receptive to that sort of help, which he ought to be at this point. I like how he's sometimes been moved toward the half-forward flag and has been a good mark there. His hands are good. You wonder why he gets so many shots. Hey, he's a big dude with good hands. He just has not been able to finish, and that's kind of the thing with this Carlton team. They have the pieces. It's been a matter of tying it all together. And it's been a matter of, in some cases, letting guys play their natural positions. I'm thinking in particular of Matt Kennedy, who was allowed that last week and was better for it, although the Blues didn't end up winning that game. If you're looking at potential ins for Carlton, Tom McConing could exit concussion protocols, and Lockie O'Reilly, who has been the sub pick multiple times, was good in a VFL game against the AFL Academy. Yeah, the VFL team had a bye last week, so they... Finished organizing a game against the AFL Academy, which I think is pretty neat. So you had Harley Reed play against some other high potential draft picks, including Zane Dersma, which was cool. Those, I'm a fan of stuff like that. I'm going to see if I can go back and watch some of that action more closely and get a real gameplay lens on some of these prospects. Now, Reed has also played with Carlton's VFL team instead of just with the AFL Academy. He'll have familiarity on both sides there. Caleb Marchbank and Jack Martin could play in the VFL this week, but Sam, no relation to Corey Durden, is still one to two weeks away from returning from his hamstring injury. Actually, just checked. 
There is a relation. They shared the same great, great, great grandfather. So that would be fourth cousins? I don't know. I think that's what it is. So, okay. San, slight relation to Corey Dirt. Cool. Corey has not had a great season so far, has not kicked more than two goals in the game yet, which is kind of hard to believe, has not had more than 11 disposals in the game. He needs to be targeted more. That's another thing, because with Makai's struggles, Durden stands out as that next forward option to me, along with Jack Silvani. If Carlton do win this game, I feel like he's got to have a personal redemption arc to be a part of it. He and Harry Makai both. Could you see Carlton winning a non-close version of this game? I feel like it has to be like an emphatic, get the monkey off their back, dramatic finish. I can't see a game where they just, just punch Collingwood in the mouth and dominate the whole way. I can't, and that's why I just can't see them winning this game, period, because Carlton, because Collingwood in close games. Yeah, that's, that's my thinking. On Collingwood's side, mostly good injury news. Pat Lipinski could be back within a month. His target was for a return after the bye. Now could be back before it. Yeah, hard to believe that the Pies have done so well without him. I can remember him having a couple really important plays against Carlton last year. Believe he had a smother right near the end of that round 23 game on. I think it was an Adam Chera kick. Not woof. That prevented a last entry into the forward 50 for the Blues. Sounds like Darcy Cameron could be back this week, which would be huge. Hopefully Mason Cox remains in still. I think he has to remain. Oh, right. he's definitely in. The only way he's not in is if he gets managed. Because you aren't omitting him after last week. And again, there's value in an extreme tall with strong hands all over the ground. And we've seen that since Mason has returned a couple weeks ago. And being able to split time in the ruck and in the forward 50 with Cameron is a good thing. They both benefit from that. We saw that last year. Especially against a guy like Mark Pittnett, who is a hit-out-to-advantage beast. Yeah, while he doesn't have too many other skills on display, I'd love to see him display other things. He's great at the actual hit-outs. And, you know, if he's going to be a you-have-one-job guy, he's uh, he's pretty damn good at that one job. The one negative injury thing for Collingwood is, yep, another Nathan Kruger injury, which another Nathan Kruger shoulder injury in particular. This sucks. I'm, I'm Whoever's got the voodoo doll really needs to lay off of him. I want him to get his chances. He's a skilled player, and he just can't catch a break. Like, they're fine as a team without him. It just sucks for him personally. Collingwood are favored by 16 and a half as it stands. I don't really see the list decisions sway the line on this much. My thing is just, I can't see them winning this by much more than 16 and a half. I could see them winning it by less. I would just say maybe there's a world where they get it out to like five goals and... Just humiliate Carlton down a stretch and you get the Collingwood chant going, but... Oh, I mean, yes, there's there's a reality where that happens, but I just, by default, would set all Collingwood lines at Collingwood being favored by 13 and a half. Uh, I'd put this one somewhere in the... I was thinking about like 12 and a half, 11 and a half range. All right, they'd offset this by a few points. I wouldn't, you know, fundamentally overhaul it, but I think it's... Don't put it by more than 14. It's not the Collingwood way. It's not the culture. These teams rematch in round 20. Like we said, that's a common theme this round. Yeah, again, three rematches from this round. All of them in 10 rounds time. The final game of this round is, I think, one of the other less sexy ones. Like, I think obviously the least appealing matchup this round is Sydney versus North. I think this one ranks down towards the bottom alongside 
West Coast versus Hawthorne. I, I guess it's a little bit better than that. Maybe a little less likely to be as compelling. It's GWS hosting the Saints. The Easter Carnival and whatnot is all done. They head back to Giants Stadium. So bad day for the Tom Green fan club. And bad day for attendance probably because Sydney Showground. This is another reason why Canberra need their own team so that the Giants can focus on being the team for Western Sydney. By the way, I thought of this. Would taking the greater out of the name maybe give more of a sense of a regional identity? Does anyone, like, think of themselves as, oh yeah, I'm from greater Western Sydney? Not something to which I would have the answer, but I can imagine that the league and the club did some surveying before the announcement of the name. I mean, you could just change... If you ever did, just change the word greater to, like, mighty in the song. I was going to say more the mighty Western Sydney Giants. Or, I don't know, fearsome or... I guess, I think mighty is the best word there, but it's something that I've been thinking about. This game gets underway 4.40 p.m. local time, 2.40 a.m. Eastern time. And it'll be 11.40 p.m. Saturday for those of us on the West Coast of the United States. This is one of those more typical, you know, final Sunday games where uh, instead of, you know, the big made-for-TV Sunday night affair that you get in, in the NFL or in, in Major League Baseball to an extent, I mean, at least they're not just scheduling a traditional matchup even when the teams are terrible. That's something that Sunday night baseball does a decent amount. Sunday night football does that as well. You know, it's just like so much NFC East. The good thing is at least they can flex things out later in the season. And speaking of which, we should see the round 16 through 23 times be revealed sometime in the coming days. And we'll obviously talk about that whenever that happens. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game. Giants come in at 3-6. and six. They're in 15th after easily their most lopsided defeat of the year. The most lopsided game of the year, period. And the Saints are 6-3 and three after also a lopsided defeat. They sit in 5th following a pretty thorough beat down to the hands of the Crows. The Giants hosted the Saints at Monica Oval last year in the Anzac round, round six, and the Saints won by 17 on a day where neither team managed to kick accurately. They combined to kick 18-29. Good stuff. If you want to look for some accuracy in this game, I mean, you should see some from Toby Green if he's available, and he's probable to return after having been out with an ankle injury for the past two weeks. Again, still remarkable to me that he put up the performance that he did in Sydney Derby 25 despite battling that injury. Looking toward the reserves, Kieran Briggs and Harry Rouston were good in the VFL. Rouston made his debut earlier this year, and Briggs is a tall option. With Braden Pruce out and Matt Flynn just kind of, eh, that gives you another option there. Also playing at VFL level, getting through some injuries were Lockie Keefe, another tall option. And the milkman himself, Jason Gilpy. We aren't going to see him anytime soon at the top level, I think. But we have to mention him because he's Jason Gilby. I really, really want him to get in as soon as possible. As do I. It would make them instantly more watchable, at least for a few people. And we are among those few people. Unfortunately, like Alir remains two weeks away from a return. And it'll be a month on the sidelines for... The Giants player whose name kind of sounds like he's a Gungan, Isaac Cumming. Please think about that. It's normally the sort of thing that people would say, like, no, don't think about this. No, I, I want you to think about that. 
me so scaroused. The Saints have a measly 11 players on their injury list. This Eagles member scoffs at their luck. I, I gotta say, they haven't had too many injuries pile up since the season actually began. Jade Gresham is probable with his knee injury. Sounds like Jack Steele is trending somewhere between questionable and probable, and it looks like this week should be Max King's season debut from his shoulder injury. Man, no ASMR. I mean, I could... Here, I'll do it. Max King is likely to make his first appearance of the season this week. He was a chance last week. They opted not to play him. All signs point to him cracking the lineup in Sydney on Sunday. I mean, that's more NPR than ASMR, but hopefully there's some little crackling that's going on in there. We don't have the bubble wrap ready like we did in our season premiere. I mean, I have some, but I'm not going to bother getting it. Also, because Grind's sleeping next to me. You put your phone on him. I put my phone down on top of him like half an hour ago, and it hasn't bothered him at all, despite me texting you. Yeah, it's vibrating, and he's just, he's just chilling. It's really funny. I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's like one of those things, you know, I do that sometimes. If someone's asleep, just you see how many things you can put on top of them before they notice. Jimmy Kimmel's done that as a skit a few times. It's it's fun. Uh, what's not fun are concussions, and Tim Members looked pretty serious the way he was stumbling off last week. Hopefully it's just one of those where, you know, in the moment it's bad and then it gets better, but I wouldn't be surprised if he misses more than this week. Zach Jones had a setback with his Achilles, so he's going to be out another six-plus weeks. I really hadn't thought about him at all this year as a piece the Saints really need, which is a good thing for their depth at the AFL level. He's just been suffering from so many longer-term injuries at this in recent years, and he's already 28. Marcus Windhager once again balled out in the VFL, and after a pretty crappy performance last week from the AFL side, like, what's holding you back from including him? Especially when you've got at least one green that could be in consideration for being tagged with the stoppage beast that Tom Green has become. Also, Jack Billings and Jimmy Webster returning from injuries played well in VFL. Billings has been a more consistent in at reserve level this season, and that just seems weird, but I mean, seems to be working. Again, depth at the AFL level, but also Ross Lyon openly said a couple weeks ago that he was considering Billings because of the Saints' issue at getting good kicks into the forward 50. So, Billings and Windhager seem like logical ins, as well as Max King. Who makes way other than Membry is a bit more of a, is a tougher question, which obviously list management will have to answer. It's a spot where you could manage some of your older guys. That said, I mean, the Giants aren't a pushover, and the odds makers really don't see this game as a foregone conclusion because the Saints are favored by six and a half, which seems low. I mean, I like giving the Giants the respect they're due, and I guess that's probably also with the idea that Toby will play. I I still just think the Saints are the superior team here by at least a couple goals, even though the style they play, you know, creates a more low-scoring game. And the Giants are very apt to play higher-scoring games with I guess, is it the orange tsunami again that Adam Kingsley is instilling? The over-under for this game is kind of in the middle, a little on the lower side, 165 and a half. By the way, 
Lowest over under this week is Dogs Crows, which is kind of surprising to me. Highest appears to be North against Sydney. Probably just expecting Sydney to clean up there, but with McDonald out, I'm not so sure there. But yeah, Dogs Crows seems like a really obvious overpick, doesn't it? Or are they just counting on the wind fucking up things in Ballarat again? I know you said there were like possible showers in the forecast there, which I don't know if that's enough to really factor in. I I think this game could be like sneaky interesting. I feel like if this is an interesting game, it's not going to be the most well played. And you're going to get just like some awesome shots of Ross Lyon in the coach's box. And Adam Kingsley with his stress ball or stress mini Sharon or whatever the hell it is now. I hope the Giants are selling all of those. Even like sell it with his face on. But yeah, I got the Saints winning this game by probably like two to three goals. So, uh, geez, this has probably been one of our longest round of previews. And I don't mind that with what this round is in terms of Sir Doug Nichols rounds and also just what these matchups are. Ethan, a lot of main character options. Who's yours? God, I haven't even given any thought to that so far. Uh, fuck. Let's go Aaron Naughton. I just feel like he's going to do something really interesting. Maybe he has a key miss. Maybe he kicks a bag. I don't know, but that's that's my pick. My pick is Kazi Pickett. And I'm doing that because of what he did last year against Port and just wanting one of the highest profile indigenous players in the league to really live up to these couple rounds. Makes sense. Fair pick. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. I am on Twitter personally at BenjaminHK01. I am on Twitter at Castle Media. Graham Harambe is still sleeping next to me, even with the phone on top of him. And you can find him on Instagram and cat named Brian. When we upload this, does your phone get, like, vibrate notifications? Uh, no. Okay, so he won't wake up from that. Unfortunate. We're actually fortunate. Let the cat sleep. And let me sleep, because I'm tired. It's nearly 4 a.m. Bye bye